and welcome to The Future Is Spoken, produced by the Digital Assistant Academy. This show accompanies the Digital Assistant Academy's course entitled Voice Interaction Design. Have you ever thought about how easy some conversations are, especially with people we know well? The thing is, there's actually a lot going on behind the scenes when humans have conversations. And each conversation has never been had before. That's why, for AI, natural language understanding is a real challenge and classed as a hard AI problem. Conversations and language are open-ended. Next, AI will ultimately have to learn to process things that have never been said before and may never be said again. In this episode, Deborah Dahl, a natural language understanding expert based in Philadelphia, explores natural language understanding and its role in the world of voice technology. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to The Future is Spoken. Thank you. It's great to have you here. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. And, and how are you? I'm, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, really looking forward to this interview, talking about natural language understanding. It sounds fascinating. So before we jump into natural language understanding, tell us about you, your work and your background. Okay, I've um, I've been in this area for a really long time, uh, probably since about 1980. And I've always been interested in language, and I've always been interested in in computers. Of course, computers were quite different then, but I'm still interested in them. And so, putting the idea of of understanding language along with computers, um, it's uh, called often called computational linguistics. It, if you're talking about it more from an academic perspective. And so I've always um, been interested in that. My PhD is in linguistics. And then um, after I finished school, I began working in uh, natural language understanding at uh, Unisys Corporation. We started out with research. And then as time went by, we decided um, that practical applications would be more interesting. And so really, I, I am interested in research and I've done a lot of it, but to me, the most interesting thing is actually trying to get something um, to really work and really do a good job. Well, that sounds really fascinating. And the fact that you've been working with computers for so long, what an interesting perspective you must have. Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of, sobering in a way because so much of the kinds of things that we can do now are not due to advances in science, but they're due to having faster and more powerful computers. The things that we could never do, um, in, you know, in 1985 or, or so, um, because they took too long, that's not a problem now. Mm. Um, so it's, it's actually really kind of a, a synergetic, um, or synergistic um, cycle where the computers get better and then the technology catches up and then the computers get even better. Mm. Wow. So the processing speed and, and I guess to some degree uh, creativity and consumer demand are, are pushing this forward. That's right. And the, um, the other kind of um, 
aspect of technology that's that's moving forward is the speech recognition. So in the let's say in the 90s, uh, speech recognition was so bad um, that a lot of the natural language design process was aimed at trying to correct, detect and correct speech recognition errors. So if you think about uh, your talk, if you're talking in a environment like uh, a train station or a car moving on the highway, you're talking to people, it, it's really hard because you can't understand their speech. And so we kind of had a similar situ situation when speech recognition was so bad, now, now speech recognition is, is incredible. It's, it's uh, not really the um, weak link in the chain anymore. Mm. But of course, one could say that, that the, the understanding of language could be a weak link. I did a bit of reading of your work before I began the interview and noticed that uh, natural language understanding is called a hard AI problem, and it's tough to solve. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it is a hard problem, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One is that, like the conversation we're having now, it's, it's never, this conversation has never been had before, um, and if we wanted a system to understand it, we would have to have a way of of it being able to process things that have never been said before and probably will never be said again. Um, some of the other AI um, challenges are things like recognizing a cat. Well, you you know, you recognize a lot of cats and they're all they all have similarities, but language is so much more open ended. Um, so that's kind of a, a technical reason why natural language understanding is hard. The other is more of a, a social or economic reason, which is that we can go pretty far in practical applications without um, without really tackling the the super hard problems of natural language understanding, um, because if you think about something like a smart speaker. They um, most of the things that people say to them are pretty routine, and you know, once you can process what time it is or what time is it, that's great. You're handling an awful lot of lot of potential queries, and you don't really have to uh, tackle the hard problems in order to do something practical. Mm. I see. So, I mean, as you said earlier, it's the fact that the conversation that you and I are having now, it will probably never be had again. It's not the individual words, but the way we are choosing in our brains to link them together. And there are so many things happening there, you know, me understanding the definition of the words that I use and then thinking about ensuring that you understand my question. Is is that where the complexity lies? Um, I think... That's part of it. Uh, part of the other aspect of complexity is that we're dealing with an open world um, where um, we're the world is is full of things that we both know about because we're we've been alive and uh, we we know about. If I suddenly start talking about uh, going shopping or trees uh, or 
uh, what we call uh, technically a different domain, that's not a problem for us. We, mm. we can remember, you know, the last time we went for a walk in the woods and I can switch domains like that. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult for a system to do that. It's trained on a domain. And if you go outside that domain, it just falls apart. Oh, wow. So is the word to use to describe that siloed? Is is it? Is that the right word? It sounds like it to me. Siloed is um, is a good word for it. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. And so I guess it's connecting up these these different domains of language to to enable it to grow. Is that right? That's right. Um, there is some research on um, trying to teach systems to understand natural language the same way that um, a child learn to understand natural language um, by sort of relating language to the world. So if you're talking to a two-year-old, you're going to be doing a lot of pointing and repetition and and describing, you know, this is a, blo- a ball, this is a big ball, this is a big blue ball. And uh, people have really not had that much success with, with training systems uh, using those kinds of techniques. Um, yeah, because they don't have the awareness that we have. They don't yeah. kind of see and experience life. Yeah, they don't have senses. Yeah, uh, very limited. You know, maybe they have a camera and a microphone, but that's not like human vision and hearing. Yeah, exactly. That's fascinating. Anyway, we'll we'll move into natural language understanding. We've touched on it a little bit, but before we proceed any further, would you give us a definition of of what natural language understanding or NLU is? Well, that's a good question. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of different um, ideas or different angles that you could could talk about for that perspective, but I think the most useful one is, this is the one that I use when I teach natural language understanding. It's taking the natural language, the kind of language that they use between people and turning that into some kind of a format that um, a computer can do something with. So um, it's not, it's not um, kind of abstracts away from the whole um, interpersonal aspect of human language or the social aspects and kind of narrows it down to the, the practical aspect. But I think that's really um really the best way to make progress on on applications is to say when what this person says how can i turn it into something that computer can act on Mm, okay and i read in one of your articles that uh and saw in one of your youtube presentations that there are kind of like specific drivers that are moving us forward in natural language understanding and, and voice technology and the practical scientific and I believe emotional reasons for the pursuit and growth of natural language understanding. Can you explore that a little bit for our listeners? So yeah, those are those are um, really good um, perspectives. The practical one I think is is the most obvious. It's um, how can we um, Say, save money by offloading some tasks that um, traditionally have been done by by human beings um, to a machine. 
call centers would be a good example of that. Um, maybe more interesting examples of one of the things that I've worked on is um, you doing speech therapy with systems, uh, so that system kind of substitutes for a speech therapist and uh, speech therapists. Um, your insurance doesn't pay for very much speech therapy if after you've had a stroke or something, mm-hmm. and even like a weekly visit from a speech therapist isn't any where it doesn't give you as nearly as intensive practices if you have a system that's at home on your laptop and you can talk to it all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, a, that's um, a great application, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done a couple of applications. I think there's a lot of potential there. Wow. Um, uh, let's, oh, the other the other big aspect to um, practical applications is the idea of um, hands-free applications where um, those are a lot of smart speaker applications like home control mm-hmm. or simple things like uh, having a your smart speaker walk you through a recipe while your hands are all covered with food um, or uh, for um, accessibility purposes for people that have trouble using their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, those are really good, good applications uh, from the practical side. So something like that could really help uh, an aging population. We've got baby boomers who are aging. And I think of some of my slightly older friends with, uh, who are crippled with rheumatoid arthritis and find it very difficult to even turn the page of a book. Yeah, I think the smart speakers are, um, they're not really aimed so much at elderly users, but they're very popular with with people with arthritis or also uh, visual problems where it's hard for them to use a, a screen. Wow. And then, of course, there's this um, great curiosity that, that we humans have, which I suppose is an emotional motivation and I love the story that you gave in one of your video presentations um, about humans having a friend that doesn't irritate us because we can just <laughs> talk to it and it is what we say. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that, Deborah. Yeah, I think that um, that emotional angle is it's getting really popular. Um, people, even for practical applications like call centers, uh, they want to know when the um, uh, callers are screaming at the agents and handle the handle a really upset caller differently than a than someone that's calm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of practical applications to that. There's um, it's interesting um, about emotional friend or like trying to have some kind of an artificial friend. There's a lot of different opinions about that. I I kind of um, lean away from thinking that's a, a great application. Um, it may be there's some cultural uh, application, especially I think robots are really popular in Japan. Mm. Um, people people really, really want to have artificial friends. Um, and a couple of really good examples I can think of are the in the movie Castaway where Tom Hanks befriends a volleyball. Oh yeah. It yeah. doesn't talk back. It doesn't look at him. 
but he's so starved for some kind of friendship that he he makes his volleyball into a uh, companion. Yeah. Um, and it's not implausible at all. Well, it's quite moving, isn't it? Because he's he's isolated and he's alone. Yeah. Uh, and There's I mean, been, sorry, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say there have been a, a few um, attempts at making something called a social robot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they're doing very well. Um, their Their main goal is um it's is not to so much to help you with things but to kind of be your friend and um there's one that recently went out of business called Jibo um it was primarily trying to be your friend and be engaging and tell stories to your children and mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. was it also costs $800 wow. so maybe Maybe if they were cheaper, they would be more popular, but uh, they they were not able to make that into a, a success. Uh, well, I suppose that could appeal to parents when uh, their the little one is asking for a, a pet and they think that, you know, they're too young to have a real pet. It's a big responsibility taking care of an animal. So let's have a robot instead. Yeah, and the, yeah. the robot can actually talk to you, which pets can't really you can pretend you're talking to them but yeah maybe they sort of understand yeah yeah I think my dog understands I don't know I haven't counted 20 or so words uh so I I can't have a conversation with it (laughs) (laughs) anyway so in the context of the digital assistant academy and voice technology can you tell us why students of voice tech really need to be aware and understand natural language understanding? Yeah, um, I think it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be really important. Um, if they're designing dialogues or developing dialogues, they they have to know uh, what the natural language understanding components can do. That. Um, that's um they have to understand the state of the art um they have to understand what they can and can't expect to come back um from a natural language understanding system and um like some one example of the state of the art is um it's really difficult to do it doesn't seem like it should be difficult to do but it's um what you would call multi intent utterances so it might be something like um like maybe you would give if you had a human personal assistant you might say something like can you find out if there's a nearby thai restaurant and if there is make reservations for four at eight Mm o'clock so you have two in what we call intense find a restaurant and make reservations yeah um for a lot of technical reasons um for some reason that's really hard and you can't uh the systems that can do that are are basically research systems now. So as a as a uh, voice interaction designer, uh, you have to be aware that that you can't do that. And if you try it, you're going to get a lot of errors, user errors that you have to untangle in the dialogue. Ah, I see. So when you're formula- formulating scripts or working on on something, um, it sounds as though you just have one intent at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
the other thing that that's really important is to understand um, the concept of uh, of uh, what we might call slots. Um, so uh, and and form filling. Mm -hmm. So if you ask um, ask let's say a smart speaker to um, uh, set an alarm for five. Uh, it has implicitly in, in a, its understanding of that is the idea that five is, um, it's kind of missing a slot. It's missing the AM PM slot. Mm -hmm. So it needs to follow up with the user and make sure it pins that down, uh, which time the user is thinking about. So for the system, five is a number but it's not in any context. It could be like five gallons of gasoline or, you know, five eggs, couldn't it? It could. Um, luckily, um, usually the context, the, just the linguistic context will disambiguate that. So saying it set an alarm for five uh, is not going to be confused with by five gallons of gasoline. Okay. It uses, it uses the other words in the context to, to um, pin it down. Right. Okay. So it's just the one thing that's missing, the PM or the AM. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And how you, you've actually given us a couple of examples there of things to consider, but once a student has a knowledge, some knowledge of natural language understanding, how will they use that knowledge? Um, if you could give us a little bit more detail on that. You've given us a couple of great examples. Could you expand a bit more? Um, okay, well, uh, the, what I mentioned is the slot filling. Um, you have to understand um, what your technology can do with slot filling. I think most of the, the uh, smart speaker platforms, like the Amazon or Google, can let you design a slot filling dialogue so you know that in order to act on the user's question, you have, let's say you're doing something like a restaurant reservation, you need the date, you need the time, you need the number of, of um, people that are coming. And nowadays, I guess you need to know what their COVID policies are, whether mm. they're open or what, you know, what kind of um, distancing they're, they're going to do. Um, and maybe even vegetarian preferences, things like right, that. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have three vegetarians in our party and mm. two uh, meat eaters. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then you can design the interaction so that it knows which um, slots are required and which slots are optional. So <clears throat> your example of the vegetarians is... Um, is a good example of what is probably an optional slot. So if you're designing that dialogue, you need you absolutely have to know the time and you have to know the day and the number of people. That's you can't make a res restaurant reservation without that. But you don't need to know if they're vegetarians or not. So that's what um what we might call a volunteered slot. Mm -hmm. You don't the system doesn't have to go back with the user and say explicitly say, do you have any vegetarians in your party? Um, I guess there might be some restaurants that want to do that, but if you go after too many um, edge cases or unusual slots, mm -hmm. that gets really irritating. Um, so you could say, um, 
you know, something, something really ridiculous might be, how many cars will you be bringing? Because we have a very small parking lot. Mm. Um, people don't, if they're, if they're worried about parking, they'll ask. I see. So um, when you say irritating, you mean irritating for the, for the user? Um, yeah, irritating to the user. If you're asking for um, information that the um, system should be able to figure out on its own or hardly ever needs, that's, that's irritating because it's, it's delaying the user's um, uh, fulfilling their request. Mm. It, this, um, this example you, you, you're giving right now reminds me of the early days of the voice menus in uh, <laughs> financial institutions. Right. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of like hitting all these buttons and trying to get somewhere and you're just lost in some maze and you can't get back to the main menu. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't designed very well, was it? Yeah. One, um, one example that I, I thought of that could be very irritating is um, – let's say you're asking your smart speaker what the weather is. It's ought to assume that you're talking about right now and you're talking about here. So if you say, what's the weather like? Um, it should just say it's, you know, 85 degrees and, and sunny. It shouldn't just say, oh, you, do you mean here or someplace else in the world? <laughs> or yeah. do you mean what's the weather like now or sometime in the future? Mm-hmm. And and if it's sometime in the future, you know, let's go through the process of getting a, a date for you. Um, so that's that's actually something that uh, dialogue designers have to be very alert to is mm. keep get the information from the user that you need, but don't um, assume assume kind of reasonable defaults if the user doesn't say anything. Right. Okay. So. Even though a voice tech designer needs to be logical, there are some assumptions that are built into the system. Yeah, you have to um, you have to understand that you're talking to a human being that's not necessarily particularly logical. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to understand that they're um, they have their own goals. They may not really be interested in talking with the system. Mm-hmm. They just want to get their job done, or they might be possibly one of these users that's looking for just a casual conversation with their social robot. Um, okay, right. <clears throat> now, now you've worked in this field for for many years, as you mentioned at the beginning of our interview, and you you understand the the logic that's in inherent or necessary to be a good designer. And that's one thing that stood out to me, Deborah, during our conversation. So for someone who's new to voice tech designing, um, how quickly or how easily is that sense or understanding of the logic? Will it, will it come to them quite quickly? And is it important to be a logical person if you decide to take the Digital Academy Assistance First course? I think um, that's a good question. I don't. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before, but I think, of course, um, you need to be logical. Uh, and if you have some maybe um, m- moderate familiarity with, with coding, that's a big plus. But I also think that um, 
that understanding the psychology of the users is is something that you can really benefit from. Um, my undergraduate degree is actually in psychology, and I I use it all the time. Wow. I under, yeah. you under, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say you as a developer, you have to understand that not everybody comes to the application, like I said before, in a logical way or with the same uh, goals that other users might come to the interaction with. And um, another really important thing that I've learned over many, many years is this is kind of a uh, business consideration is it's very hard for the management that's funding your application to understand that everyone that uses the application isn't exactly like them. So um, they, if they like an application, that doesn't mean it's a good application. And, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with something that's talking to you, it's really difficult to withhold your own emotional reaction to that, that interaction. And so as a developer, you have to work with your, um, management to make sure that they understand the need for data and testing and practical uh, applications um, and not rely only on their own sort of uh, gut reaction to an application because that's that's not what those millions of users are are uh, coming to the application with from the same they're not coming to from the same perspective as you are. Yeah, well, that that makes complete sense because we're unique. We all have our different approaches to how we interact with technology in life and other human beings. So that makes sense. But at the same time, when we're talking about conversation and interaction, I can I can see how one manager or CEO might say, well, that's not how I would do it. That's not how I would say it. So you need to go back and change it. And that could be oh. a, a fatal mistake. That that's the the bit noir of all dialogue designers and voice interaction oh. designers is the the manager or the marketing guy or someone who's um, got control of the funding doesn't appreciate your expertise and mm-hmm. it's very hard to it's, it's something you have to be aware of and something you have to uh, plan for. Mm-hmm. So the key point here then is to really do a lot of research and a lot of focus group testing and present that to the people who are overseeing the project or the budget. Uh, Focus group testing is good. Um, Better uh, testing is with live users who are really trying to solve a problem. Um, Focus groups, uh, you know, people sometimes say what they think you want to hear. I see. But some a real user that's really calling in and wants to, you know, do something like um, like check on their uh, banking information, they um, they aren't going to say what they want you to hear. They'll they're going to try to do their job. Mm. Exactly, and you'll get real world feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's really one of the main challenges that, that students will face in real-world scenarios. Can you think of any others, Deborah, that, that uh, people who, who begin studying voice technology design, what kind of things could they face in 
when they're out there working or even running their own business? Well, they um, they certainly have to, I guess this is kind of a corollary of having to make sure that the, the customers and the managers uh, understand what the process is, but it's also you under you need to accept uh, your own. Um, you may have biases, and that the only um, real um, way of deciding what to proceed is through through data and measurement um, and testing with real users. Uh, the data is going to tell you what works and what doesn't work. Now, I will, having said that, there are, it's not just a matter of throwing a dialogue out and hoping for the best. There are a lot of principles, uh, general design principles, like uh, don't make your prompts overly long. Don't try to avoid any kind of ambiguity or confusing prompts. Um, don't assume that every error is a failure to uh, on the user's part. Um, there's there's a lot of principles, mm. and so um, you want to make the design as as good as it can be before you even start testing. And there's a lot of guidance on on how to make the design uh, good, workable, uh, and keep the users happy. Oh, that's good. So there is a lot of guidance out there, and that will be important for students to look at. Yeah. And I'm I'm really curious to know because this is such an exciting area. In your view, as as an expert and a professional who's worked in this field for for quite a few years, how advanced is natural language understanding at the moment, and where do you think it and voice technology could be in say five to ten years? Have you, have you got a crystal ball there with you, Deborah? Um, <clears throat> well, I think it's. It's just um, unbelievably better than it was even even ten years ago, um, which is largely there's a, a large component of that that's part of um, the improvements in speech recognition and computing. Um, also, another big component reason for the improvements is the um, amount of data that it, there's available now is unbelievable. We have um, the whole internet uh, and now that we have um, smart speakers and, and assistants like Siri, we have a lot of spoken data. Um, so that's, that, um, that really drives a lot of improvements. But having said that, there's a downside in um, the data-driven or machine learning approach, which is it's, um, you're going to see the same kind of thing over and over again, and the system will improve to handle things that it's, that it's already seen. So it's a little bit difficult. There's kind of a chicken and egg problem. It's a little bit difficult for it to go beyond things that um, it gets millions of examples of. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think there's a, a whole a whole world of areas where it could be a lot better, but there isn't much motivation to make it better. Um, so one thing that's, that's always, even at the beginning of my career, 
was an area where that was difficult and it's still difficult, which is handling pronouns. And so if I, if I say something like what's the weather like today, um, my smart speaker will tell me. And, but if I say, uh, what will it be like tomorrow? It has to figure out what that it is. Um, and you can, pronouns are, um, can get a lot more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's still, it's still, um, it's still very difficult. Um, and pronouns are an example of the whole um, problem of understanding context. So you not only have to understand one single utterance or one, one sentence that the our user is giving to the system, but I understand how to interpret that sentence in the context of other sentences that have gone before it. And that's what gives you the information that, that it refers to the weather. Mm-hmm. And um, the context, context can be so broad, um, you know, completely handling context is probably not something that's going to happen in, for a long time, um, but something that things that would be really useful are that no one can do now are the context from let's say what we were talking about yesterday. Mm-hmm. So we can't really ask our our smart speaker, um, did you know? Did we talk about um, me buying a new lamp yesterday? If you if you said that to your smart speaker, let's say your Amazon speaker that's really focused on buying things, it would, it wouldn't remember that. It would just say, how about buying a lamp right now? <laughs> yeah. It, okay. <laughs> so even though it's connected to Amazon, which is an e-commerce platform, it it's, doesn't have a, um, any kind of data to pull up and see if you did in fact buy a lamp yesterday. Um, it might know that you bought a lamp yesterday, <clears throat> but I don't think it would know if you just talked about lamps yesterday. Oh, I see. Okay. For the same the same way that the Amazon uh, website knows if you bought a lamp yesterday. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that is fascinating. There are lots of meaty challenges for students of natural language understanding and voice technology to get their teeth into. And it's such an exciting time, as you said, with everything that has coalesced around this time, the use of the Internet, the use of speakers, the proliferation of um, speech commands, those kinds of things. It's a great time to be entering the industry, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think it is. Um, I think um, just going back to some of the the challenges um, for dialogue or voice interaction designers is, um, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. What it's it's sometimes it's hard for um, customers to understand that they need a dialogue designer because. Mm. Hmm. They can design it. They can have a conversation. Um, do they? Ha- Why do we need this expensive dialogue designer when we can design it ourselves? Um, hmm. And so I think maybe the whole industry has to um, has to push forward on on 
why this this should be a profession and how much better your applications could be if uh, if you have a knowledgeable professional doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're digressing a little bit, but that's a very important point that um, people who who train to become a certified voice interaction designer and they need to really focus on selling their value to the industry uh, and ensuring that what they they do is valued and understood completely the value that they bring to a project i think um i think dialogue designers who work for um large companies that make um make voice systems have a a better um a better shot at at getting their value recognized because it comes as sort of a whole package. Here's the designer. Here's the natural language um, application developer. Here's a speech developer, and they can say, you know, this is when we do an application. This is the package of of uh, skills that we provide. Um, mm. it, it would be more difficult as an independent designer. So for those students who who are thinking, I'd really like to set up my own consultancy, they they could be well advised to consider to getting that whole package in place, and they'd likely have more more success in terms of winning clients and contracts. I think I I think that's true. I think I would um, want to get my feet wet by working for either um, a company that makes the uh, interactive voice response systems. Or um, there's now a few companies that make uh, applications for um, smart speakers, mm-hmm. and I would I would probably get my feet wet by working with um, with someone like that. They uh, especially the smart speaker applications are so new. Um, I think it's it's a little bit um, difficult to get some credibility. Uh, with customers and smart speaker applications uh, if you look at the tools that are available for designing them they seem very simple mm-hmm. um, i've I've made um, applications for Amazon and they're they're very easy to use uh, there's even one guy uh, I think he's a, probably about in seventh grade now who's, mm-hmm. who's quite a well-known uh, Amazon developer. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. I, I haven't actually seen his applications. I don't know how good they are, but uh, it kind of it gives you the um, the impression that designing a good smart speaker application is easy. Designing is not easy. Developing mm. once you have a good design, that's pretty easy. Mm. Well, I mean that that's a little bit like like many things in life, isn't it? And and crafts or skills, you know, the pianist that we see, or the you know the great opera singer or great singer in any any genre of music, um, they do make it seem easy, but that is because of years and years of work. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's right, and. You know, I was thinking of another analogy might be something like uh, if you're going to build a house, you really need an architect. Mm. You need a design. You can't just go in and start 
knocking together walls. Mm. Um, even though maybe you know perfectly well how to use a hammer, but you've got to you've got to think through the whole whole um, process. Yeah. Yes, that, that's so true. And I think that that's the paradox of the Internet, that it gives us so much information, but it also makes us think that we can do anything we want to. You know, I mean, I know a couple of friends who are doctors who are, are tired of Dr. Google. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's been lovely speaking with you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add be, before we wrap up the interview? Um, well, I guess um, one thing that's a little bit, it's one of my favorite um, topics is um, a little bit, it's easy to overlook. Um, and that is um, how do you, if you want to develop a, a application, a voice application, um, where, where does the knowledge come from that you're going to give to the users? Is there, there needs to be, better tools for, let's say you're getting it from a database or, or from a web application. Mm -hmm. Some of that, what has to go on back behind the scenes is um, it's pretty ad hoc work that doesn't um, carry over from one application to the other. So there's, there's a real need for the kind of tools that help bring that knowledge from wherever it resides back through the application to the user. Hmm. And uh, sorry, are we talking about kind of where the knowledge resides or, or where does it come from? Like literally in terms of say a research group, books, that kind of thing. Uh, no, real. I'm thinking more about where it resides. So if I'm building a banking application, I have to um, find the. I have to connect with some kind of database that has my um, my data in it, and I have to be able to parse the database and un, you know understand where my checking information is and where where my um, mm -hmm. history is, and bring that out to the user. Um, and that that's a pretty one-off process. And is the residence of the knowledge, is, is the location an important factor for people working in, in voice interaction design? Well, it, it has repercussions because people are going to ask about things that are not available in the database. And an ideal application, the designer will know what the database can knows and what it doesn't know and the designer should be able to get back to the user and say something intelligent about well I don't I don't know information about um, your uh, stock portfolio because I'm just a bank database mm. um, so it system needs to know what it doesn't know the designer doesn't really need to know all the all the details about, uh, you know, what the code would, would, what code would be needed to access a database. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good to know. It, as it has been lovely speaking with you. Um, really appreciate your time because I know you're quite busy and I've got no doubt what you've shared today will be of great interest to 
not just people who want to join the academy, but anyone who's interested in, in voice interaction technology and where it's headed in the future. Well, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking with you. You've asked some great questions. Thanks, Deborah. I'm sure we'll get to speak again soon. Great. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. Remember, you can find all the information on how to become a certified voice interaction designer, along with show notes and more at our website, digitalassistant.academy. That's digitalassistant.academy. We encourage your feedback and questions, so be sure to get in touch by using the contact page at the Digital Assistant Academy's website. We'll include the link in the show notes. In our next episode, Ananya Sharon reveals how she led a team to build a voice assistant for music streaming service Pandora. Pandora.